15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, that you, that your joy may be full. Thank you, Brother Preston. And we're going to be focusing right here this morning, John 15, focusing on the church. The church. Jesus is making his way with his disciples from, from what we know as the Last Supper, back in John 13, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he'll be praying. Along the way, he teaches them and us uh, many good thoughts. Here, there's a focus on the church, the church. The skeleton of what we're going to be doing uh, this morning is to notice, first of all, just three initial points. And then after that, three responsibilities. And then we're going to notice one warning and then four blessings. We'll not have time to get all to all of these ideas, but I want to go ahead and put that out there. Three initial points, three responsibilities, one warning, and then and then four uh, blessings. Okay, I'll go ahead and mention the four blessings, verses seven through eleven. Notice that the four blessings of being in the church. Verse seven, Preston just read for us. Verse 7, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you, Jesus says. And then secondly, being able to glorify God. Verse uh, 7 and 8 there. And then being able to be in the love of God, verses 9 and 10, because if we keep God's commandments, we abide in His love. And then finally, the fourth blessing is to have joy. Have the joy of Christ. Have full joy. Full joy. And so those four uh, blessings. Let's go back here to the beginning of the chapter and notice three initial points right quick. Three initial points and then we'll notice three responsibilities of the branch. Okay, Three big points here to begin with. We see here, first of all, a picture of the church. A picture of the church. The church here is presented as branches in the vine. Branches in the vine. If you'll let your mind wander just a minute, as you read scripture from Matthew to Revelation, the church is presented in different ways. Sometimes it's presented as the body of Christ. Sometimes it's presented as the family of God because we're the children of God. Sometimes the church is, 
is um, pictured as an army of God or even as the kingdom of Jesus. But here, the church is presented as branches in the vine. Notice how Jesus presents it here. He says, the father is the farmer. The father is the vine dresser. He's the husbandman. He owns it all. He's in charge of it all. He provides what's needed for, for uh, the branches to grow. He owns it all. Ultimately, all accountability uh, is to him. And then Jesus is the true vine, and we are the branches, and we are the branches. So first of all, first initial point here is to notice that the church is pictured as branches in the vine, and the vine is Christ. The second initial point here is to notice Jesus is the true vine. He's the true vine. The word true here means something very genuine, something very real, genuine, okay? Not something imaginary, not something that's just fiction, not something that, that's just kind of simulated or pretentious. You know, we just were able to be involved in, a, in our introductory VBS class a little while ago and I appreciate the young guys over here and, and, and Bryce and others who, who pretended to be soldiers, who pretended to be Goliath, who pretended to be David, who pretended to be Saul, who pretended to be Jesse, and, and so on. They were pretending to be that. Jesus is the true vine. He, he's not someone, he wasn't someone uh, pretending to be the Son of God. He says, my father is the husbandman and I am the vine. I am the vine. This is one of Jesus' I am statements that he makes throughout the Gospel of John. You know, John 8 verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Here he says, I am the true vine. In John 10, Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Here he's saying, I am the true vine. In John 6:35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Here he's saying, I'm, I am the true vine. In John 11 to Martha, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Here he says, I am the true vine. Jesus is true. Again, let's just let our minds scatter throughout the scriptures here. But Jesus is the true vine because all the Old Testament prophecies pointed to him. Okay? Plus John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. Plus the Father up above spoke from heaven and pointed to Jesus. Jesus' miracles that he did, walking on water, turning water to wine, those all pointed to Jesus. The very resurrection that Jesus uh, experienced on that first day of the week points out that he is the true vine. The very fact that Jesus prepared his apostles and we now have the Bible points out that he is the true vine. His, his nature, his character, his sinlessness all point out that he is the true vine. And so we see here a picture of the church. We also see Jesus as the true vine. Then a third initial point, a third initial point, is to notice that we are absolutely dependent upon Christ. Okay. The vine, in this analogy here of Jesus in John 15, the, the vine provides all the water and the nutrients that the branch needs, that the branches need to be able to produce the fruit. Okay. The branches are absolutely dependent on the vine, so 
we are absolutely, utterly dependent upon Jesus. In fact, notice here in John 15, verse 5, that Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. That's absolutely true. In another place in Colossians 3, in verse 4, the Apostle Paul would say that Christ is our life. Please underscore that in your mind and in your Bibles. Christ is our life. That's the way it has to be. That's the way it is. That's reality. We are absolutely, utterly dependent upon Him. We are the branches and He is the vine. So we wanted to see this picture of the church and, and how is it that we become part of that vine? Well, if you notice again and again here in John 15 that the branches are in the vine. In the vine. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. The branches are in the vine. How do we get in Christ today? Well, we read from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 and 27. As many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Thereby we become branches in the vine. Or, or in other words, we become children of God. Okay? So those are our first three initial points. But mainly here we see... We see three responsibilities of the branches. Okay. And that points to us who want to follow Jesus. Okay. So notice here in this context three responsibilities of the branches. Okay. The first, of course, is to bear fruit. At least eight times here. Notice in your Bible. And I'll just point this out right quick. But notice in your Bible the first responsibility of the branch is to bear fruit. Verse 2. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he is taken away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That he may bear more fruit, verse 2. Okay. And then notice down, down later around uh, verse 5, he says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You see that? And then notice verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much uh, fruit. Notice in uh, verse 16, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear uh, fruit. Bear fruit. This is the first responsibility. To bear fruit is to help other people come to know Jesus. That's what that is. To bear fruit, to bear fruit is to help other people Come to know Jesus and that they may follow him too. This is used throughout the New Testament. Let me just point out two or three places where this is very clear. Okay. For example, in Romans 1, in verse 13, Paul said, I want to come to Rome so I can bear some fruit there. That's what Paul has in mind, to come and preach the gospel. In fact, two verses later in Romans 1.15, Romans he says... I must come there because I want to preach the gospel there as well. I'm ready to preach the gospel there. Okay. In Romans 7 verse 4, Romans 7 verse 4, we are told that, that the old law has died to us, that we should be joined to another. Who is that another? To him who has been raised from the dead, from the dead, that's Jesus, that we should bear fruit. That's the whole reason. The reason that we follow Jesus is to bear uh, fruit. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, the household of Stephanus is called, they are called the first fruits 
of Achaia. Okay. The first fruits. That means they were some of the very first converts to Jesus in the district of Achaia. Now if you look on your Bible map, what's sitting on top of the district of Achaia is our cities like Athens and Corinth. Okay. So when the gospel came over that far to the district of Achaia, Stephanus and his household were one of the first ones to respond in a favorable way uh, to the gospel. In Philippians 4, 17, Paul is thanking the church there at Philippi for, for helping him to travel and to preach the gospel. He says, not that I desire the gifts from you, but I desire the fruit that can come from our combined efforts. Okay. And so the fruit is used uh, in this way. Notice it here in verse 16 again, in John 15, 16, Jesus says to his disciples, now, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit uh, should abide. Okay. Now, on top of that, to bear fruit also means to, to be a good example and to, to live as God would have us to live. We read in, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 about the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. And we, we sing about that at VBS every year and we'll sing about it again this year, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, about nine of those things. Well, if we are full of the fruit of the Spirit, then we will have the desire to help others come to know our Lord. And so the first responsibility of the branches is to, is to bear fruit, to bear fruit. Okay. The second responsibility of the branches is to be grateful for adversity of all things. This, this is the one that makes us, it ought to make us sit up in our seat a little bit. But notice what Jesus says here in John 15 verse 2. Notice it carefully. Every branch that does not bear fruit is taken away. But notice this carefully. Every branch that does bear fruit, he cleanses it. Or he prunes it. Or he trims it back. Or he cuts it back. You see. So we, as branches, we must be grateful for the adversities of life that in the long run and in the big picture actually come from God. This is kind of hard to swallow. Okay. Now... Someone might say, that seems ridiculous to cut and damage a living piece of wood. You usually would want to cut off those that have been withered, but that's not God's operation. That's not God's wisdom. God's wisdom is you cut back on the live branch and then it enhances the production of the branch. Okay. So it is spiritually. This is hard for us to take. It's hard for, it's hard for us to face, but this is the way it is. The more adversity that we face because we're following Christ, then the more productive God will make us. Back in Psalm 119, a couple of verses that you've already probably marked because we've, we've mentioned this a number of times, but verses 67 and 71 Psalm 119, David would pretty much say this. David will say, it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn your word better, Lord. 
And if all of us will be just down deep honest with ourselves, we would admit the same thing, that it, it is in those times of life where there's a crisis, we draw closer to God. We dig into his word deeper. We don't have to have anybody to tell us to do that. We just do it. Okay. And that's the way it is. When, when we are faithful branches in the vine, then we will be grateful for adversity. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, we won't read all of that, but the apostle there explains how that God operates with us as, a, as, as parents and father does with his children. On earth, in normal situations, a father will discipline, discipline his child on occasion because he knows that is for their ultimate good. So in the same way, the father disciplines us. He brings adversity to us. Why? Because he knows it's for our ultimate good. In fact, if you'll look closely at verse 11 of, of Hebrews 12, it says, it will bring us to holiness before God. And next verse is righteousness. What is God's desire for you? What is God's desire for the church? Okay. It is holiness. Holiness. The older generation preachers of a couple generations ago, they would constantly say, the business of the church is not business, it's holiness. We need to repeat that to ourselves. The business of the church is not really business, it's holiness. Everything that God does is to draw us closer to Him so that we can be more like Him. Holiness, righteousness, that's it. And so the second responsibility of the branch is to be grateful for adversity. We're grateful because we know that will draw us closer to God. We're grateful because we know that will focus us more on the soul than anything else will. It's so very true. I have been involved in funeral settings, and you have too, where there would be people there who will turn to the Lord because that occasion has brought forth some matters of the heart that they had, they had suppressed for so long. But because of the reality of the passing of their loved one, then it just all kind of comes forward right in front of their eyes. And they know that the soul's needs are most important. We were studying together with the little ones this morning, David and Goliath. And there's a great scene between King Saul and David. And... King Saul had said, David, you're just too young to go against the Philistines, go against this giant. David said, you don't understand. I've already had adversity. In keeping my father's sheep, I have, I have delivered the sheep, sometimes from a bear, sometimes from a lion. But the God who was with me then will be with me now. That's what adversity does. It prepares us for greater and even more service for the Lord as the future, as time comes along. First responsibility of the branch is to bear fruit. Second responsibility is to be grateful, to be grateful for adversity. 
What are you going to say to the Lord now in your next prayer? We might think about saying something like this, Lord, whatever you need to bring into my life to help me be a more productive branch in your vine, please do that, Father, and humbly I will be grateful and accept it best I can. Have you ever prayed that way? Have you ever prayed for more adversity so that you can be more productive for the Lord? The third responsibility of the branch is to abide in the vine. You notice this yourself in your Bible. Seven, eight times the word abide is used. We won't read every one of them. But you notice in your starting verse 4, go all the way down through uh, verses 9 and 10. Abide in me and I in you. Abide, abide, abide. That, is, that, is, that remains to be uh, continuously joined to the branch. Sustain, endure. Okay? Remain in the vine. Abide in the vine. We know what that means. But it is repeated. Okay, think about this. Seven or eight times here in, in our first part of John 15. John uses this word 67 times in his gospel account. 67 times. In the New Testament, the word abide is used 118 times. Do you think God wants us to, to consider this? To, to continuously draw near? To stay with Him? Why is there so much quitting in this world? Why, why do Christians quit? That's a mystery. It's a mystery. With all this emphasis of remaining close, why do so many quit? You know, God is the greatest illustration and example of faithfulness that we could ever find. Okay? We could probably search through the, the internet, listen for stories of people remaining true and faithful even under hard times, and that might be beneficial, but you'll never find a greater example of faithfulness than God Himself. Think, how, think about how long God has been at this. This old world is at least 6,000 to 7,000 years old. Right now there's about 7 billion people on the earth. God knows every person on the earth. That doesn't even account for all the people who have lived prior to our time. The billions and billions of people who have lived prior to this day. All of those people individually God has known personally. Look at all the disappointment. Look at all the disappointment that God has endured and He knows it perfectly. Look at all the grief that has been brought to God's heart because of the way of man all over this planet. And yet what? God has not quit on us. God has remained faithful. God has still brought His will to this earth. He has still preserved His Word. He still allowed His Son to go to the cross. He still is hopeful for us to be there in heaven. He still wants us to be in heaven. Is there a greater example of faithfulness than our Lord? Look how long He has been at it, with how many people He's been at it, and yet, what does it take for us to quit? What does it take? One little word or one little mishap, you know? And, and we, think, we think 35 years is, is faithfulness. It's nothing compared to God. 
60 years of faithfulness, nothing compared to God. And Jesus is telling us over and over, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. One of the key things here is found in verse 7, I think it is. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then, then you're on the right track. That's a key. My words, the words of Scripture have got to live in us. They've got to stay within us. They, they've got to be abundant in us. That's a big part of, of abiding in Christ. I'm a little bit more than concerned of how this part of worship takes place, the part that we're in right now. And Bible class settings as well. I hope we never get the idea that when we're in this part of worship or we're in a Bible class that somehow or another we have come to hear a speech. This part of worship is not about hearing a speech. This is about, this is about learning about God. Each of us. Worship is individual. Okay? We haven't showed up here. We haven't invited our families to come see a movie. We haven't invited our families to, to come listen to a political speech. Okay? This is a time of study. Okay? And... and it used to be that no matter who was up front leading the discussion, that the pages of the Bible were just turning. Were just turning. Okay. And if you want to make the case that you're turning in your Bibles on your phone, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But my observation has been, and I was observing a little bit this past Wednesday night with our guest speaker, that more than not, we were sitting there listening, okay. but we're not engaged. We're not engaged. And Jesus is serious here. This is not, this is not an opinion. Okay. He plainly says it. My words have got to abide in you. We've got to start somewhere. So look at these three responsibilities here of the brand. Our, are we branches in the vine? That's what we want to be. Okay. If we're going to be branches in the vine, we've got to be bearing fruit. We've got to be grateful for adversity. And we've got to abide, stay with in the vine. There's one warning here, and you see that in verse 6. Every branch that does not bear fruit becomes withered. It is cut off and cast into the fire and burned. And so you see the lesson before you. You see John 15 right there before you. Okay. We have these three initial points about the church, the true vine. We are the branches. We are dependent upon him. We see these responsibilities. We see these warnings. We see these blessings here from verses 7 through 11. That's all I wanted to share with you. I love to talk about the church. But you can't talk about the church in one sentence. You can't just make a statement or two and say, well, that's the church. The church is presented to us in a variety of ways. And one of those ways is right here. Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches. Thank you for being part of this study this morning. We take this time also to invite anyone home to Christ. That's where we belong. Everyone belongs to God. God made us. We're made in his image. 
we belong with him. The devil wants to take us away. This old world wants to take us away. The devil works very hard to do that. But we belong with God. We were made for him. He wants us to be in eternity with him. If you have a spiritual need this morning, be glad to pray. Be glad to study. Be glad to, to speak with you uh, right now. Let's all stand together and sing.